right, good morning, yeah. I want to say a special thanks to Eliza and Zach and the team for leading us into worship. So glad that they could do that. Great job. Thank you. Uh, it's Father's Day. Good to see so many dads here and people celebrating dads and stuff because we know what a powerful influence dads and families can be. But we also have with us this morning a team of people who are getting ready this week to do some powerful, powerful ministry to a group of young people who maybe haven't had the ideal family environment. There's a camp, we've been doing this for a number of years, four or five years now. For a week, this team, Royal Family Kids Camp, is going to go and they are going to provide an over-the-top, utterly fantastic, week-long camp experience for a group of kids who have come through a lot of difficulties, through foster care, through some less-than-perfect situations and group on difficult circumstances. And they're just going to love these kids and provide them an experience unlike any they've ever had so that they know how valuable are they are and how much God loves them. And so this team's actually, they're heading out today a little later in the middle of the second service to go down and begin preparing the camp and getting set up and stuff like that. Um, but I'm going to invite them to come on up because we want to pray over them as they go. And as they're coming up, I want you to get a picture here of what it is they're going to be doing this week. that fun? Yeah. And, and honestly, if we were going to capture the whole week, it would be a 25-minute video, so we're not going to do that. But we're going to have uh, in excess of uh, 60 volunteers up there for 30 kids. These are people taking their own time, your own vacation time, their own energy, and investing it for God's kingdom in the life of these kids. And I just believe that God is going to use you powerfully, and you're going to make an impact that lasts eternally in the lives of these kids. And so I'm going to ask us as a church, would you join me as we pray over them and send them out? Heavenly Father, we are so thankful for this team of faithful people who have simply said yes to your call. You've placed in their heart a love for these ones who are in need. And God, I pray that in this week, as they give of themselves and their time and their energy and their lack of sleep and their fatigue and everything that's ahead of them, God, I pray that it's not the efforts of humans that these kids will experience, but they will experience the hand of God's love reaching out to them and embracing them and holding them tight. 
God, I pray that you would give them every entree into meaningful conversations with kids that where the gospel is shared and where faith is made strong. God, above all, we pray that through these, your servants as they go and are filled with your spirit as they minister in your name, God, we pray that through them, your will and your purpose would be done in the lives of these young ones. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Can we give them a hand and continue to pray for them throughout this week, for sure. Thank you, Pastor Brian. Thanks, Pastor Mike. I love the opportunity to get up here and speak whenever I can, so thank you for that. It's Father's Day, and uh, we're going to talk a little bit about that today. We're going to talk about what it is that God has to say, and the Bible is full of a long litany of great fathers that can serve as our example. There was, there was Adam, the first man, who did such a great job that one of his sons killed the other. There was Noah, who got drunk in front of his kids. That was pretty awesome. Abraham actually put his son on the altar and was preparing to slay him. That's a Hall of Fame father move right there. Only to be met like, and then there's Lot, right? Who with, with uh, citizens of the city beating down the doors because they want to uh, abuse those who are visiting him. Says, oh, don't hurt them. Have my daughters instead. Not a great parenting move either. <laughs> then there's Isaac. Can't even tell his own sons apart, one from the other. <laughs> Jacob engendered so much favoritism in his home that the whole thing blew up and the siblings turned on each other. I mean, you can't make this stuff up. This is, a, this is a fatherhood bottom 10 list. And there's hope then, right? There's hope for a guy like me. And there's hope for men like us that we can do a decent job. So this morning, we're going to take a look at what it means to honor our fathers as the fifth commandment directs us to do. And then on the other side of the equation, we're going to take a look at um, dads, what can we do to live a life that's honorable? And to, and to honor that as well, and to take up the very special role that God has given us. But let's start with what the Bible has to say to each of us as kids. So that, like, whether you're, whether you're a kid with four or five years under your belt, or whether you're a kid with four or five decades under your belt, the Bible is saying the same thing. The Word of God speaks clearly, Exodus chapter 20, verse 12, and it says this. Honor your father and your mother so that you may live long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. There it is. It's the fourth commandment. Now, I probably need to step back just a second to even address the idea of a commandment. We are, among other things, you know, for the most part here, Americans. And deeply knit into the fabric of what it is to be an American is this inner sense for good or bad of don't you dare tell me what to do or how to live. It's just part of our social fabric, right? And so we come up against a command. Who does this guy think he is to tell me what attitude I should have towards my father? Well, this guy is God, created you, spoke the universe into existence. Here's the context of the Ten Commandments. Some people have a picture like the Ten Commandments are because God is a grumpy old man telling people to get off his lawn, wants to make life difficult for us and flex his muscles and prove his power and make sure that nobody has any fun. And so here are the 10 things you have to do to make sure you have no fun. 
And if that's your view of the Ten Commandments, I, I want to flip that upside down a little this morning because that's nothing like the reality. The reality is this. God's people, the Israelites, had been in, in living in Egypt as slaves for 400 years. And, and against that backdrop, he calls them out. He delivers them. He brings them through the Red Sea, and, and they escape from the bondage of Egypt. And he's calling them to be a new people, a new nation under his guidance that reflect his goodness and his glory. And he's aware that after 400 years of living in bondage, if you keep living according to the rules of the land where you grew up, the life you're living moving forward is not going to be what I have for you. I've got something better for you than the life of slavery you had. I've got a life, I've got a life planned where you flourish, where justice rolls down like a river, where there's peace and there's kindness and love and equality, and there's goodness in the land made visible for all to see. That's a good and virtuous society. And if you just play by the rules of the place you grew up in, you're not going to walk into that promised land. If you can't see the connection and the application of that for us, I don't know what to say. If we just live according to the way of life in the land we grow up in and just take that as the given and play by those rules, we will never walk into the kind of God-honoring, life-giving, human-flourishing that is God's design. There's another way to live life, and that way is outlined within these commandments that God gives, not so that we can just live up to a standard, but because if we live this way, the society that that produces flourishes and reflects God good, God's goodness, and that's why he plays out the commands. With that in view, let's look at this specific command. When, when God was writing this, on the stone tablets, the Ten Commandments, he dropped this one strategically right into the middle of them. The commandment is this, honor your father and your mother. And obviously, uh, this applies to mothers as well, but today we're talking about dads. And depending on your background, your upbringing, your experiences in childhood and whatnot, this commandment is either a piece of cake or it is one of the most difficult of all the commandments to keep. Why is that? It's because this, in this room we have some sons and daughters who, by God's grace, their dad was awesome. And he deserves to be treated as a hero. And he presented a compelling and inspiring illustration of what a perfect father God himself must be like. And it's pretty easy to honor a father like that. But also in this room we have some sons and daughters who are not so blessed, right? And who weren't so fortunate and whose experiences at the hands of their fathers may have ranged from absence to indifference, maybe even to, anger, even to anger or to rage or to abuse or worse. And if that has been your experience in any way, then you already know how difficult it is to honor a father like that. Interestingly enough, it's against the backdrop of all those all-star dads that we talked about at the very beginning that the Old Testament brings up in the Ten Commandments, honor your father. Let me clear, all those things happened before this command. It's not like God looked back on the track record of those dads and said, you know, the first four, com or the first, uh, four commandments, they're, they're pretty difficult. Let's cut them a break on the fifth commandment and make it easy. That's not what God was doing at all. 
No, he looked back across a collection of broken, error-prone, dysfunctional dads, many of whom did little or nothing to actually deserve honor. And out of all the things he could have possibly commanded the people to do, he commanded us to honor our dads, to honor our fathers, even if they aren't great dads. Maybe they may not even be great people or even decent people. And yet he calls us to honor them. And it's difficult at times. So when he issued the command, he knew it would be easier for some to honor their wonderful fathers and it would be difficult for others whose fathers weren't so great. And he said, this is what I want you to do. All of you, I want you to honor your fathers because that is part of what it takes to walk into a flourishing life that gives life and reflects God's goodness to all. And you may say, it's impossible to honor my father. If you only knew, if you had any idea, there's nothing honorable about him. And that may be true. And even if it is the case, I would say yes, then honoring your father will be difficult and maybe even impossible for you to do. Unless. Unless you understand what it is that God is really asking you to do. And And to understand that, we have to take a closer look at the commandments. So here we go. The the Ten Commandments, the first four are all vertical. They have to do with our relationship with God and how we interact with him. No other gods before me. Don't take the Lord's name in vain. Don't don't create any idols to worship, right? And and remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy so you can focus on him. Those all have to do with our relationship with God. And then the, the final five are all about how we treat one another, not lying to one another, not coveting each other's things, all sorts of things. And right dropped in the middle at the transition point from the vertical commandments to the horizontal commandments is this commandment about honoring our parents. It's because the relationship of a child to parent really is the midpoint between our relationship with God and our relationship with people. And especially in those early years, right, the line between God, our Heavenly Father, and just our earthly father, it's kind of a blurry line. It's difficult to parse out and understand as a young person. And if we're ever going to navigate the transition from loving God properly to loving others properly, that transition point is honoring our parents properly. Why? Our duty and our ability to love other people flows directly. It comes directly out of something that God says is true about them. God calls us to love others. Not just the wonderful others, not just the pleasant others, even the difficult and painful others. He says, love them. And the reason he says to do that is he says something is true about all of them. That he created them. That each one, each one is made in his image and bears that image. And most importantly, that God himself loves each one. And when those three things are true, there can be no other response in us, right, than to love them as well. Combine those three, and that makes every person incredibly valuable and worthy of our love. Well, the same thing is true about our duty and our ability to honor our parents. Whether they are and were great or whether they are and were not so great, our ability to love them flows from something that is true that God says about them. And what is it that God says? Your parents, and this includes your father, partnered with God in the creation of you. In the original creation account, God said, let there be, and then there was. 
Let there be light. There was light. Let there be birds. There were birds. That's that's not how children come into the world. It is no longer, let there be a baby, and poof, there's a baby. That's not the way it happens. God chooses to partner with moms and dads in the creation of a new life and in the miracle of conception. And honoring our fathers begins with recognizing that in God's sovereign plan, your father was used by God to bring you into this world. The result of that is this, that when you honor your earthly father, you are actually paying respect to your heavenly one. The converse is true. If because of pain and if because of difficulty and if because of a a background that was difficult, a refusal to honor your father according to the fifth commandment is a refusal to honor your heavenly father as well as he is the one who has asked this of us. So it's difficult, but it's true. In so doing, we acknowledge our, sovereign, our submission to the sovereign plans of God. Our relationship with our parents, and particularly, especially our relationship with our dads, is our first experience in, the, in our recognition of authority and the exercise of obedience and the expression of honor that we're ultimately called to give to God. Like, we learn how to obey God because first we're given to obey our parents, right? I remember the night we brought our firstborn home, Cody. We'd prayed for years. God had answered prayers. We had troubles along the way. He, was, he arrived safe and sound. Um, and a couple of days after that, I'm 28 years old with my wife with a baby that we don't know what to do with. And that first night, we're lying in bed, and he's in a little thing next to the bed. And... I don't know what was wrong with this kid, but he just couldn't get comfortable. He's three days old, right? And so he's crying and fidgeting and causing a stir. And, you know, in all my 28 years of wisdom, I was like, I don't know what to do. But I, know, I knew this. I was getting tired. And sometime, sometime out around 2 o'clock when it just hadn't let up, I had had enough. And I said, little mister, this has to stop. And I don't know what it was about that moment, but it stopped. (laughs) I'm no parenting expert. Please don't rely on me for some kind of child-raising advice in that regard. But I do know this. That was, I, I know because of that moment that, like, there is a moment the very first time that a child does something that his parent has asked of him. It was kind of accidental in that case. I understand that. But the first, the first instance any of us ever have about responding to authority is likely responding to the authority and the role of the Father in our life. That's why they're important. Our ability to relate properly to all human persons, everyone on that horizontal plane of loving others, begins with our ability to offer and demonstrate respect in this primary human relationship, the relationship between child and parent. The word honor, honor your parent, it has, it's, it's a term that's related to weight. Like, give that relationship in your life the weight and the gravity that the role deserves. Because honoring our fathers means acknowledging and responding appropriately to the role that God sovereignly called them to fulfill. Not just responding to their performance, 
not just responding to their perfection or their imperfection, but recognizing there was a role that God called my specific father to fulfill. And in honor of the God who chose him, I will honor him at my God's request. So what does, what does honor look like practically? It looks differently at different stages of life, right? When, when you're a child, honor looks like obedience. O- obey your parents and obey your father as, as he's instructing and guiding you. But then as we get older, it's not just obedience. It's about respect. It's about, where appropriate, emulation and imitation and, and living up to the positive parts of the example. Also, maybe where appropriate, it's about seeing points of failure and difficulty and pain and choosing to learn the lessons that don't take you there as a person as well. And then late in life, there's a part of honoring our fathers that has to do with care, of lift, looking out for them when the time comes of being there and being supportive and taking care of stuff. When Paul was writing to Timothy, he, wrote, he put it this way. He says, if a widow has children or grandchildren, these should learn, first of all, to put their religion into practice by caring for their own family and so repaying their parents and grandparents, for this is pleasing to God. There's a lot of weight there that you un. And when you impact that, we who have been blessed to be parents for any length of time are keenly aware of the amount of investment that goes in to raising kids. I don't know a single parent anywhere who has said, I'm doing this like my 401k. I'm putting all this effort in with my kids so that I get a better return out of the care they give me later. It's because we love them. It's because we want them to thrive. We want them to have a great life and all. But Paul says, but from the kid's side of things, There is a duty, there is a debt of care tied to the fifth commandment, which is to be ready. Position yourself to care for your your dad, for your mom, when the time comes. Some of us are in a season of life where like that's becoming very, very real. Others of us are like that's somewhere in the future, deep in the future. And whether it's, whether it's a pressing and immediate reality or whether it's kind of just a, something off deep in the distant, vaporous mist and fog of the future, I think if we take this seriously, I think if we take what Paul is saying seriously, and if we take the fifth commandment seriously, it involves actually taking steps now and making decisions now that position us to be able to provide care. Whatever that care is needed and looks like and is desired to be, to be ready to do that in our heart and, to the, and in every practical way that we can to be ready to do that. So at a bare minimum, we're to honor our fathers. That's the biblical minimum. However, on this Father's Day, I do want to say this. If you've had the blessing of a dad who reflected well the goodness of God, if, if you are one of the blessed ones whose dad made an indelible mark that leads you towards Christ and towards godliness, if you're fortunate enough to have a, a dad who continues to um, radiate God's goodness and speak into your life, I just want to encourage you, do something extra. Do something special. Maybe go just one more. Whatever that looks like within the context of your relationship and your plans, that's awesome. Um, but uh, anyone who wants to talk to my kids about what I think they should do for me, I'll meet you after the service and we'll, uh, I'll give you their email addresses and we'll, we'll get to it.
I want to pivot just real quickly, and I want to talk to the dads now. I want to talk to you. I need to talk to you for a minute about what I know that God commands your children to honor you, but he also commands us to live honorably. Here's the thing. If, as a dad, you find yourself constantly having to remind your kids that they're supposed to honor you, you're doing it wrong. You see, a dad who does live honorably will very rarely have to demand honor. It will be inherent in the relationship. I tell when I'm counseling with young couples, uh, we talk about um, you know, Paul's instructions for uh, husbands and wives to submit mutually to one another and that, um, and that uh, wives should um, submit to their husbands. And for some reason, the guys always get very excited about that particular line. And I tell them, I don't, I don't think that you understand. It, if you're doing your part of loving your wife like Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, you're not going to have to demand submission and play the submission card. It, it, it's going to be a natural, right? This, I, this is a practical issue, but I tell those couples, I tell the men in particular, the submission card that you want to you point to scripture and says scripture says you have to, I think you get about two of those over the course of your marriage. <laughs> so when 15 years into your marriage, you feel like, oh, this is it. This is important to me. I'm laying that down. You need to submit to me on this one because of the Bible. Remember, you got one more of those for the next 45 years. <laughs> Play them wisely. And in between times... Live a life of sacrificial love so that playing that card isn't even necessary at all. A husband's relationship with his wife should include the husband being first in all the ways that Jesus was first, right? First to love, first to sacrifice, first to serve. And that passage in Ephesians uh, in chapter 5 that says, Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. This passage is written about husbands leading their wives, but it's pretty instructive too about the way that dads should be leading their kids as well. And whether you like it or not, as a dad, you are called to lead your kids. And that means always being first. The first to love, the first to sacrifice. The first to serve, the first to instruct. It's not about getting your way. It's not about calling all the shots and about being in charge. That is not a biblical view of leadership. Biblical leadership, Christ-like leadership, involves being first in all the ways that Christ was first. And let's look at those maybe one at a time, okay? Leading your kids means being the first to love. It means taking the initiative to find a fun, fresh way, creative way to let your kids know how much that you love them. That probably means making some time for them. It certainly means figuring out what is special to them and understanding them to know what is meaningful to them. It means going out of your way to do something special and extra. I want to I share with you one of my favorite dad moments. It was, uh, it was the first time that for no particular reason I gave flowers to my daughter. And I think, I think we got a picture of that up over here. All right. Look, I mean, it's, it's adorable. Look how much hair I had. 
And so she was just very young. She didn't know I was coming. I rang the doorbell. Mom slept her off. And then the, her response was everything that I had hoped for. We just got together and got to cuddle and stuff like that. I, I will tell you, I'm not much of a flower giver. That's not like really in my wheelhouse. I'm not that kind of guy naturally. But my daughter is a flowers kind of girl. And a simple, simple moment that literally took about three minutes and $5 at Trader Joe's is a memory that she continues to talk about. A minimum of time and a minimum of investment can reap huge rewards when we talk about being the first to love our kids. Leading our kids means being the first to sacrifice as well. See, there's always something else that we could be doing. And there's always something else that needs to be done. There's always something clamoring for our attention. Sometimes it's stuff around the house. Sometimes it's stuff at work. A lot of times it's wherever they're playing golf or sports on TV. But there's always something. But there will never be anything as important as our kids. And take it from a guy whose kids have grown up and moved on and are like doing their life as adults and are happily married and everything else. The time when they're in with you is so brief. There's always something. It falls to us as dads to drag ourselves out of the urgent and into the important where our kids are. There's a lot that's going to clamor for your attention and that is urgent. Nothing's more important than being there with your kids. One of my favorite authors, Michael O'Brien, is fond of saying this, that the cost of a happy family is the death of selfishness. Not the selfishness of others. If my kids would just be more, uh, would be more unselfish, our family would be great. No. The, the cost of a happy family is the death of my own selfishness. Or what I want and what I need and uh, what I'm inclined towards take backseat to the needs of those who are in front of me. Jesus um, had this experience when he was leading the disciples. This is out of Luke chapter 22. It says that a dispute also arose among them, the disciples, as to which of them would be considered the greatest. And Jesus said to them, the kings of the Gentiles, <clears throat> excuse me, the kings of the Gentiles lord it over them. And those who exercise authority over them call themselves the benefactors. But you, he says, you are not to be like that. Instead, the greatest among you should be like the youngest, and the one who rules the one who leads should be like the one who serves. For who is greater, the one at the table or the one who serves? To be clear, the answer to that according to all the rules of the day is no. The, the person who's sitting at the table eating is in a higher position than the person serving them. That's the standard order. But Jesus reverses that and says, no, it's not. He says, is it, he says, is it not the one at the table? Yes, that's what they would normally say. He says, but I, I am among you as one who serves. Serving means doing whatever it takes to find out what is needed to help our kids thrive and doing it even at great personal cost. That's what it is to live an honorable life as a father. It means serving them. It means meeting their needs. It means providing for them. It means being there for them. And I'll say that even beyond that, beyond just those things, it, almost, it also means providing them 
with a living and ongoing example of being one who contributes and serves to the growing of God's kingdom. As a dad, should, should you serve your kids and meet their needs? Absolutely. But you know what else you should do? You should be finding places, and it could be in your neighborhood, it could be here in this local church, it could be in the community, but you should be serving so that your kids live amidst the example of someone who serves God by serving others. We've got a group of people here in purple shirts, and kids will see them investing their time and serving others and know that is how it's done. So I want to ask all of the dads here, do your kids have, by virtue of watching your life, reason to believe that it's important to invest in serving others? Do your kids have, by virtue of the example of your life, the sense that it would be a good thing to volunteer and serve in kids' ministry and to disciple kids or be a student ministries leader or serve on a prayer team or fill in the blank? Does your life provide example of the fact that that's important? Because if it doesn't, I'm simply saying you're doing a disservice, not just to a church or to a group or to a ministry. You're doing a disservice to your kids. Find the way. Find the place to tell your kids, this is important that I do this. This is part of being the man that God has called me to be. And then if possible, invite them to come join you along the way. Allow the power of your example to shape the way your kids see service and investment in the kingdom of God. Okay, leading our kids means dads being the first to instruct Again, Moses, as he's talking about moving into the promised land a little later, he tells, he tells the parents and the dads, fix these words of mine in your hearts and in your minds. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Teach them to your children. Talking about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road and when you lie down and when you get up. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates so that your days and the days of your children may be many in the land your God, the Lord, swore to give your ancestors, as many as the days that the heavens are above the earth. He says, dads, it's your job to make sure that wherever they go with you, biblical instruction cannot be avoided. Make sure that your children are running into the truth of Scripture everywhere they go. That's on you. Dads, your kids' long-term spiritual well-being is connected to how seriously you take this exhortation. It's on you. What are you doing? Are you teaching them? Are you talking to them? Are you surrounding them with images and experiences that steer them to God? Are you the one saying, Get out of bed, kids. We're going to church. Or are you the one saying, not now, dear. I need more sleep. <laughs> Dads, for those of you who are and who are leading, I just want to say it shows, and it shows in your kids, and it shows in their strength, and it shows in their love. And dad, for the, dads, for those of you who aren't, I want to encourage you to man up and to step up and step up into that role of leading your kids by taking the initiative in instructing them in the things of God. Many men I know would say, I would love to do that, but I don't know how. I'm going to give you just a super quick model, <clears throat> model for how you might be able to do that. If you know nothing about the Bible, grab a toddler infant picture Bible 
and start showing that to your kids. After that, get a children's beginning reader Bible and read that to your kids. After that, go get a youth and student Bible. You know what I want you to do with that? I want you to read it with your kids. And I promise you this, I promise you, they're gonna ask you questions for which you have no answer. And you're gonna feel awkward because I'm a dad, I'm supposed to have all the answers. But in that moment, I, can, I just wanna say, it's okay to say, that is a great question. I don't know the answer. But I know Pastor Mike and he knows all the answers and I can talk to him. You don't have to present the image of a dad who knows everything about the Bible. You need to present the image of a dad who's interested in the Bible and wants to find some answers to the things that he doesn't understand. And that's contagious. And you can walk that out and you can live that out. First to love. First to sacrifice. First to serve. First to instruct. Dad, that is an honorable and a high calling. And I exhort you with all my heart to be honorable in the way that you answer that call and live that out with your kids. I'm going to invite you to pray with me as I close here. All of what God leads us to in a topic like this flows out of the sense that we have that God is our loving and heavenly Father. And that he invites us into a relationship with him where we can experience in that way. And most of us have started at a place where we didn't feel close to a wonderful, loving, uh, heavenly father. We felt kind of far and distanced and didn't even know maybe how to have a relationship like that. And that's exactly why Jesus came to earth and it's exactly why he died on the cross. Because in doing so, he made it possible for our sins and our failures to be forgiven and to be removed from us to remove the barriers from that relationship. And then he asks us and he invites us and says, would you accept that? Would you say yes to the gift of the forgiveness of your sins and a relationship with God as you, and where you can know him as loving Heavenly Father? Many of us have said yes. I believe, I place my faith there and I want to know God that way. And then in, in, as best we can, we're following Jesus, sometimes better, sometimes worse. But maybe you've never had the chance to say, yes, I want to. If you want to today, it's just a matter of affirming in your heart this prayer that I pray. Heavenly Father, I acknowledge that I'm a sinner. I acknowledge that I'm imperfect. And I acknowledge that even my own failures are what keep me from knowing you as my loving Heavenly Father. God, today I choose to believe, I place my faith in Jesus, that what he did on the cross paid the price for my sins and enables me to know you as Heavenly Father. I believe what your word says, that all I have to do, I can't earn this favor, I can't earn my way into your family, I just have to simply believe in faith. I'm making a statement of faith today. God, I believe. Would you take me into your family? Would you become Lord of my life? And would you do your best to lead and guide me as I do my best to follow and obey in Jesus' name. Amen. Jesus instructed those 
who have made that faith commitment to remember him in the elements of communion. He, he left at the Last Supper the idea of, of bread and juice as these symbols of what he was about to do on the cross. And when we receive these symbols, we're just reminding ourselves of where our faith is. It's in what Jesus has done in the cross. And so in the seat back in front of you, there's some communion elements, a little wafer and some juice. And in the moments that follow, I want to encourage you to, in just a quiet, personal time, reflect on Christ's role in your life and the execution of his sacrifice. When you're ready, you can kind of open those up and take those elements while the band is playing. And then we will close with a song together. Thank you so much for joining us at Mission Vale Christian Church. Just know that we always have live services here every Sunday at 9 and 11 a.m. We'd love to have you here and we'll see you next time.